This podcast is brought to you by dpztechnology.com. High Impact Dads was created to give you tools and insights for effective fathering in a hectic world. If you like this podcast, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review. This certainly will help those who need this information the most to be able to find it. Hello, and welcome again to High Impact Dads, the podcast that examines how fathers influence and affect the lives of their children, beneficially and adversely. I'm your host, Michael Conant. I'm very excited because we have a great show in store for you today. We're being joined by three men who are going to bring so much to our discussion. Bob Record, Jeff Kemp, and Ken McClen. All three of these guys are husbands, fathers, and grandfathers. Bob Record has been a successful business executive as well as a national ministry leader. He's spoken to over 325,000 men over the last 15 years at conferences, events, and simulcasts. He's also authored 10 books, the most recent of which is Ending the Cycle of Father Wounds. Jeff Kemp is a former NFL quarterback as was his father, Jack Kemp, before him. Jeff speaks nationally at men's and marriage conferences, and he also helps lead the Fatherhood Commission. He has authored the book, Facing the Blitz, with another book soon to be published. Ken McClinton is a ministry leader in the Washington, D.C. area. He's a respected entrepreneur. He is also the founder and CEO of TECN-TV, America's first urban conservative internet television network. Gentlemen, I know that all three of you have very hectic schedules, so thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Thanks for having us. Our pleasure. Uh, Honor. Excellent. Let's get right to it then. How has the lack of good models impacted today's fathers, leaving them often feeling adequate and ill-prepared for fathering? Mm. Well, you know what? Men naturally their biggest fear is failure. And you don't really know if you're succeeding or failing as a man, as a dad. And so there's a certain insecurity, but if your dad didn't speak into your life and kind of tell you that you're you're a good man, you have what it takes, uh, you measure up uh, and actually point you to the heavenly father, the perfect father, the one who kind of gives you the the ability to do it because we're all you know flawed and broken and we mess up a lot. But when you're connected to God, who's a great father, you have hope. But I think a lot of guys don't know that they can get that help and hope from God. And they don't even have security in their own identity, right? That that they are a beloved son of a perfect father. So most guys, you know, at work and even in their family are trying to, to earn their identity. And that leaves you in a constantly insecure place. Um, so I think it's that, that lack of identity. And secondly, there's no blueprints or kind of instruction manual as a dad. Um, I mean, the guys on on here know that in the Bible there is, but it's not laid out as, hey, here's the fatherhood chapter. You got to kind of go through it and figure it out. So men need a game plan. And we can give them the game plan if they'll just team up. And that's what this podcast is. That's what Bob's been doing. That's what Ken's been doing. That's what the Fatherhood Commission and I do. Um, So. I think mainly it's the fact that guys don't have a clear identity themselves, which is as a son of God. And number two, they didn't have the clear blueprints of being a man and a father and what to do with their kids. Well said. So confidence and identity is key. Bob, many men have faced one or possibly two crises in their lives, um, particularly when it comes to 
having served in the military in war zones across the world or having faced economic downturns in financial security as the uh, head of the household, how do these strains and challenges impact the household and man's ability to lead? Well, that's a great question, Michael. Well, if you go back on the first part of your question to World War II, which uh, some of our dads, those of us on this program, but also who are listening with us, uh, had activity and fought in World War II, were engaged in that. If you go back to that point all the way to today, 500,000 military men and women have been killed, over a million have been significantly uh, wounded in battle. So in a culture that is so visually driven, uh, rather than refer to books, all we'd have to do is say, just picture in your mind uh, World War II as depicted in movies like Hacksaw Ridge, Saving Private Ryan, Patton, uh, Pearl Harbor, go forward to the Korean War, Port Chop Hill, uh, the Steel Helmet, Vietnam, we were soldiers, Apocalypse Now, Full Metal Jacket, and, and more recently, uh, American Sniper, 12 Strong, or uh, 13 Hours, which was the story of the guys at Benghazi. Take all of those and the horrors that so many in military have experienced. And you find that a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder have impacted a lot of dads. Many dads who have walked there just begin to withdraw to a certain degree because of everything they've experienced. And they may not want to, but they may feel pressured to because of the stress disorder issues that they are dealing with. Now, we, we can think about war, but all of us know that add to that first responders, like in 9-11 or Vegas shooting or school shootings, then even COVID. Think how many medical personnel as first responders are dealing with a post-traumatic stress syndrome because of all the pressures that that brought to our culture. So there are dads and, and granddads for that matter who have withdrawn and are not as engaged partly because of the stuff they've dealt with and that kind of trauma they've had to walk through. You mentioned the economic downturn. Uh, my dad was a part of growing up in the Depression. And you think on March 29, 1929, when Black Tuesday happened, within months, 12 million people were unemployed. And at the height of the Depression, 12,000 a day were losing their job. There was a run on banks. They didn't have anything like we have today called federal insured deposits. And so people were losing it left and right bring it up to 2006 to 10, and we had the financial impact and now uh, runaway inflation in our own country. Uh, but in 2006 to 10, when it really got tough in the city I live in, which is a major city, we had multiple builders committing suicide just because of the pressures they found themselves on. Uh, and to Jeff's great point, guys have the greatest fear of being inadequate or insecure. And when they find themselves in that role and they don't have the anchor of the perfect father, they make less than stellar decisions. We, we all do that if we find ourselves there because they feel that as a dad, as a husband, one of their key roles is to be the 
chief provider. And if they feel like they can't, they begin to withdraw. So financial crisis and traumatic crisis from various sources can really affect a dad. Yes, it's easy to see that with lack of confidence, they're unsure of their leadership in the home and with the uh, relationships of their kids, well said. And urbanization of America has drastically changed our nation, taking it away from its agrarian roots. How has this impacted the family and in particular father's relationships with their children? The whole concept of fatherhood, whether measured in an agrarian economy or in a urban economy, is always a struggle. Uh, for those principally who have moved in away from the South in which there was a great period of movement from the Southern states, uh, especially by black citizens, the Northern states, um, literally uh, there was a change of culture. In the South, there was an expectancy uh, that the father would be the chief provider, that the husband would take care of the children. Uh, not that there weren't periods of time where individuals uh, departed from that. However, it was a general theme. However, when people moved to the North, uh, individuals became more content with the whole idea of moving away from God and moving closer to Gov. And so when you come to the 1960s where 80% of the black households had a father in it, to the modern era where 80% of the households is headed by a woman, uh, there is a greater dependency on gov to provide what a man cannot. Uh, and so literally our, our cultures have changed, uh, the individuals in it, the expectations of it. We, uh, some people watched last night on the VMAs where a male kissed a, another male in a very romantic manner. Uh, so the exploitation of perversion has boomed in this particular uh, generation. So men are constantly threatened with the ideas of not being able to provide, especially as our economy moves into a recession. And as well, the ideal of what a man looks like, what a man is supposed to be. And constantly that is seemingly disrupted by women who have grown to be more consistently supportive of government, supporting them and providing for them than even a man. And so one of the problems is the hand that rocks the cradle can sometimes upset the entire balance of the earth. And Women, unfortunately, are raising their children in atmospheres of hostility towards men and especially their fathers. So it doesn't give a good sounding start uh, to an acceptance of fatherhood in the urban setting. Okay, well, and, and can you explain to us um, how Johnson's Great Society impacted American household and led to the growing absence of fathers in the home? Sure. Uh, the displacement of the male as the leader of the household uh, with the bureaucrat that becomes the leader of the household. The, the whole idea, first and foremost, the idea that you can have a war on poverty and actually end poverty uh, is a misnomer in and of itself. 
you had households that moved from a dependency of one, maybe two people bringing in income. Now you have a dependency on government providing the sole source of income. And in that particular case, that dependency has created greater poverty than it has actually alleviated. And households of society where you push the whole principles of entrepreneurialism and as well getting a good education and before you uh, graduate from uh, high school or college that you pursue a trade. Uh, In addition to that, that you don't have children out of wedlock under the age of 25 because you're unable to provide for them in a very, very good manner. So as we move closer and closer to this reliance on GOV, we move further and further away of our reliance on GOV. And as a result of that, increase of poverty and delusionment, not only for the male in the household, but the female in the household of exactly what their roles are and how they can help each other become principally the great servants of God that they're intended to be as a married couple. You touch on a very important point about role models. Speaking of role models, Jeff, uh, can you uh, tell us why so many men, fathers, and grandfathers struggle with the concept of biblical manhood? Well, you know, it ties into what Ken was saying that the model is starting to be gone. It's missing the model of manhood, and and you know, people can debate and try to define manhood, but if you think that God created male and female in his image, and we fell, so we're imperfect, but he sent a perfect man, his son, Jesus. If we want to get the blueprint, the model for being a man, we just look at Jesus. And Jesus was masculine, and it was a beneficial masculinity. No one was afraid of it other than maybe self-righteous Pharisees and power-hungry leaders that didn't want him to elevate the oppressed and and the poor. Um, But there's a blueprint, and it's Jesus. But if we push Jesus and God out of society, and if dads don't show a humility that models the character of Jesus or the type of fathering that the father and the prodigal son story, which Jesus told to give us a good picture of what the father's like, a father of love, commitment, truth, but incredible grace and forgiveness, generosity. He threw a party when his kid came home. He didn't give him a lecture. You know, he gave him a new start. So I don't think those stories are being told. Men modeling that aren't highlighted in in movies or television uh, or an adequate number of internet locations and podcasts. This one is a refreshing spring of water. Um, So we need those blueprints. And I think a lot of guys haven't had mentors show it to them. And they're not talking to their friends about this. Most men are isolated these days. They may have tons of network, tons of people they call friends, digital friends. But they don't have guys they talk to every couple of days or every week, process their life with, ask for some help, get some prayer from, uh, confess what they're struggling That's a practical area I want to help men with right now, Michael, is if any guy would like to have a solid, deep friendship with a dude that he trusts, who's got his back and he has his, that's possible. That's the way Jesus changed the world. He got three closest friends, Peter, James, and John, and 12 
other guys who we turned into friends and they changed the world, but they had to become friends first. Mm -hmm. So if a guy wants to learn how to do friendship and share it with a friend and figure out, Hey, maybe we can start meeting every week, talking about the most important stuff, supporting each other as husbands or as dads or through work or through a, a trial or PTSD, uh, go to menhuddle.com and you can just download the men huddle playbook, which is a simple, short 10 page blueprint on how to build deep friendship. I call it level five friendship. So that's menhuddle.com. But I'm encouraging men, get a role model, ask for a mentor, start talking to a few friends, approach this as a team, not as a lone ranger. Well said. As men need to develop relationships like that. Bob, speaking of relationships, why do so many men today balk at the idea of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and see it as a threat to their manhood and their fatherhood? Wonderful question. And I say amen to what Jeff just said. I was just sitting here thinking, I was on the phone today with a guy in his mid-30s who was just dying to have another man speak into his life. And tomorrow I'll be on uh, a call with a guy in his late 60s. Same exact desire. So all of us as guys, as Jeff so well nailed it, we have a tremendous need here. But why do men have a struggle uh, with this issue of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Jeff touched on this again, and so did Ken. And that is, there are forces in our culture that are teaching boys to grow up and to be totally self-sufficient. You can handle it all. You got to be tough. If there's no pain, there's no gain. Big boys don't. You got to cry. And you ought to be able to deal with anything that's tough which brings a certain hubris or pride into a life. And there's a difficulty with that. God says in his playbook, I resist the proud, but I'll give grace to the humble. And Jeff said earlier, he said, man, men need to learn a humility. But that means I've got to say, I can't just do it on my own. I need something bigger than me. And that's where God through Jesus Christ comes in. I'd say just a couple of things to any man who's listening. Number one, God loves you right where you are, but he loves you way too much to let you stay there. He says in the Old Testament, in his book, I know the plans that I have for you, and they're plans to prosper you, never to harm you. And they're there to give you a hope and a future. But that's going to require a man to give the surrender of his life to Jesus Christ. Now, I said surrender rather than commitment, and there's a reason for that, because words make a difference. And commitment, when I commit to something, I'm really ultimately still in control. I'm in control of the term of the commitment, the depth of the commitment, the length of the commitment, and even if I continue in the commitment. But when I surrender to something, there's nothing left to control. When I give my life to the one who loved me, created me, and loves me where I am, but too much to let me stay there, then that's where I find the plans he has for me. And they are plans to make me the best I can be and to give me a hope and a future, which Jeff nailed, as did Ken. And I think if a man wants that, rather than having to just stand on his own two feet and be tough and plow through... What you'll find is an amazing surprise, and that is the surprise of surrender, because most of us think of the word surrender means 
I have no more control. I've lost. I'm a failure. But in this case, surrender means when I give my life to the one who made me, then he says, I alone, Jesus said, am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody will be able to come to the Father but by me. And then he said, and when you discover the truth, that's Jesus Christ, that truth will set you free. The amazing thing about surrendering our life as men to Christ is he sets us free like nothing else can. And that's alone how we become the husband or the dad or the granddad that God meant for us to be. Michael, I want to add to what Bob said, because this is the most important thing in all of life. But part of the answer of why men are kind of cautious about God and Jesus is because we have a wrong idea of him. And Ken and Bob and I would all tell you that the culture is feeding you lies. Absolutely. And deceptions. And they're counterfeiting who God the Father really is. And they're counterfeiting who Jesus is. He's the most courageous, studly, awesome, strong, loving, beneficial, sacrificial hero ever. But he's also the closest friend. And the Heavenly Father isn't a a pope or a priest or some religious judge about to hammer you. Uh, He's just, but he hammered Jesus, his son, to pay for all the sin that humans have ever done as long as we get humble, like Bob was saying. So I would say, men, don't be passive. You're aggressive trying to make money and become who you want, but we're passive in other areas. We don't even look into the real book of God to figure out what it says about Jesus and who the Father is. Read the book of John, figure out who this heavenly Father is and who Jesus is for yourself. Ask God to make himself real to you. I mean, challenge him. And you watch out. Then the word that Bob said, surrender, I'll give you another word for it. If you knew that you were a really crappy owner of your life and your car and your house and you didn't keep any of it up and it it just lost its value, but God was a perfect owner of your life. It would not be a dumb move to give the ownership of your life to God. And that's what Ken and Bob and I have done. We've given the ownership of our life to Father God, a perfect owner, because of Jesus who changes us. So don't be afraid to check out Jesus. Go straight to the source. And then ask Father God to prove himself to you. And he will. Yep. It's that confidence in your relationship with Jesus that enables you to be the father that you are, isn't it? Totally. Husband, worker, it enables you to get cut from an NFL team and not have anyone watch you. It enables you to lose your job. It enables you uh, to be made fun of uh, because you won't sleep with other women and you won't talk about women in a sexually exploitive way. You can handle any of that if you know that you're God's son and he loves you unconditionally and you have what it takes and he'll never let go of you and you're going to live for eternity in a perfect kingdom and he'll protect you from all the junk that this world sells. So you'll be free. Like Bob was saying, it's good to be free from addiction to alcohol, porn, drugs, your anger, money, the opinions of other people. It's great to be free of all that stuff. The fear of men, ah, that leads to a trap and a snare, but trusting God, that's the safe and positive, uh, enlightening and beneficial way to live as a dad, as a man. Or to surrender to God than to all the other vices that you mentioned previously. Exactly. I would say this, 
um, one of the most courageous things that you can do as a man is to be around better men. Uh, the whole idea that you are your own God, that you are your own captain of your life and you can do it and you don't need anyone else's help or support. You can handle it on your own. And if it fails, it was someone else's fault. It wasn't mine. I struggle just like you every single day with being a husband, with being a father, and now being a grandfather. And one of the great things about this particular program is that better men than I sought me out. Jeff and Bob are tremendous fathers and grandfathers, and I marvel at all that they accomplish and all that they do. But God humbled me to be in their midst that I might learn to be a better husband and better father myself. Now, I'm not saying that they're perfect by You're no right. means. They're not. <laughs> yeah, just ask our wives. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or, or grown kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although my grandkids, they think I'm perfect for a little while longer. That's right. Hang on to that. Hang on That's to that. That's right. <laughs> but the whole idea, God is challenging you with this particular program tonight, today. Whenever you're watching it. Ken got cut off. God, God is challenging you to put yourself in relationship with some other guys. Ken, go ahead and pick up where you were. Literally, God doesn't want us to be isolated. He wants us to be in the company of those who can sharpen our iron, make us stronger, make us better, challenge us. Michael Jordan wasn't the best basketball player on his high school team in the year that he tried out for it. But after constant work, he later goes on to become what some consider the greatest of all time. You, you see, it doesn't just happen overnight. And no one, because of their race, color, creed, or religion, has the absolute answer, perfection. You have to no longer depend on earthly, secular answer. You have to depend on Christ. You have to have a perfecter in your life. That means that you're going to have to find guys around you who are committed to the challenge of being a great father. Yeah. That's exactly what, what we were talking about earlier. You need a team approach to how to be a man, how to be a husband, how to be a dad, how to be a single dad, uh, how to get along with your ex-wife, how to recover from bankruptcy, uh, how to get out of porn, whatever it is, you need a team. Okay. Right. Whole life change. Right. Ever continues without a small team. And I call that a huddle. My friends, Greg and Pete and I talk every single week and we ask this question, what's the most important thing that you need to talk about? How can I best pray for you? And what's Father God teaching you from his word, which is what Ken was referring to in terms of getting the answer from the answer book. And uh, man, I've gotten so much fathering help. I've avoided some dumb mistakes that I ran by those guys beforehand. I've healed some marriage things with my wife where I was being an idiot for three days until I told the story to the guys and I sounded like an idiot to myself. And I finally humbled myself and went back Guys don't beat me up. They don't lecture me. They don't fix me. They let me be honest and real. 
And then I have a mirror to, to see my life. And my stories help them and their stories help me right. and for each other. Um, you can have that. You know, that's what I was talking about. The Men Huddle Playbook can help you with it um, at, you know, at my website. And I want to see guys spread this type of friendship and dads have this type of support for one another. I know the, the men's group at my church has been very critical in my spiritual growth. So I, I understand what you're saying, Jeff. Yeah, I'm talking not just friend, uh, not just a group, as great as it is, a Bible study, a small group. I'm talking, you got to have one or two close, deepest friends who you everything's on the table. You commit, are you, are you safe? Are you confidential? Because I'm going to be. Once the guys agree to that, men will open up. But they're not yeah. sure that in a small group or somewhere else, certainly not on Twitter. Um, <laughs> so just define your friendship and then men will go forward and be honest. Jeff, what are some qualities that you would look for in, in those two close friends that you mentioned? Uh, number one, committed to Jesus, even if they aren't super mature and don't know a whole bunch about the Bible, but they want to go in that direction. OK, number two, they want to be real. Okay. Mm -hmm. They want to be honest. They're not trying to impress you and they're not going to make you feel like an idiot when you tell them, you know, your struggle with lust. Um, and I think God will give you those friends if you pray and ask him. And then you float this type of friendship by a couple of guys. If they say, eh, I'm not really interested. Fine. Just stay a level three friend, but go find a guy that wants to grow in God, wants to be committed to the friendship and wants to commit to the confidentiality and transparency, you know, the being real and honest, putting his junk on the table. Um, you, you won't believe how fun it is and how empowering and freeing it is uh, to have that type of deep friendship, uh, a huddle friendship, a level five friendship. Yeah, Michael, I would add to that. I, I wanted to have watched guys who I felt were willing to leave their game face off. Because if you're going to constantly keep your game face on in a small group like that, it's not going to work. And therefore, they've got to be guys who have proven that they are teachable and not just know-it-alls. Because know-it-alls will tend to dominate the group. And if they're teachable, they're as interested in learning and growing and changing as I am or as Jeff is. And that's got to be a commonality in that group is that we're all here to get better. There's not one of us that's teaching the other two or two of us that's teaching the other one. We're here in process and journey together. And we've all got some learning and growing to do. Now, Bob, you just said it. Coachable, which yeah. means humble, which takes us back to Michael Jordan and Steve Kerr and the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry and any team worth its salt. The dudes are coachable because they get humble enough to listen to the coach and, and learn from their teammates. That's the only way to get to a championship. Same thing in fathering, same thing, be humble, be coachable, hang out with better men, as Ken said. Yeah. And so well said guys can guide you once you're real with them, but game face and pretending impressing that doesn't work. Hey, by the way, Michael, I, I want to just say something that, I think it's important. Some guys may be out there thinking, yeah, I may need that. But, um, you know, guys like are on this program, they probably don't need that anymore. Well, uh, I've just completed right at 50 years of marriage and I've still got three 
people in my life on a regular basis that are basically mentors and coaches to me uh, that in different areas of my life are helping me grow. So it's not something you outgrow. And not if you're really coachable and teachable, as Jeff so well said. It's something that's lifelong, and you never stop getting better to what God, in, in fact, created you and meant for you to become. Hmm. Bob, that, that, that raises a point. In every other area, we want to stop being our daddy's kid and kind of walk <laughs> them underneath his wings, right? You want to be your yeah. own man. But when it comes to Father God, Every single year of Ken's life, Bob's life, my life, Michael's life, we literally are invited to and want to depend more on our Father in heaven yeah. than we did a year ago. And oh, Jesus sir. even depended on and received everything he said and everything he did from the Father. So my answer to how are you going to be a good dad is not what Bob or Ken or Jeff or some book says, though there's a lot of value there. Your Father in heaven will give you the game plan. You just need to receive it need to approach him and ask him. So everything ties back to this receive principle that Jesus practiced of receiving your manhood and your fatherhood and your husbanding and your guidance from him. That's being coachable. And every year you're learning more to depend on him. You know, one of the great things, uh, it is so great to be around a wonderful NFL player uh, who was a quarterback. One of the great things that we will learn along the way is that a quarterback can throw 10 passes in a single series and it may only hit four players during that particular series. You may only get four out of 10 and people will say, well, wow, that's a bad incompletion rate. But if four of those particular passes happen to get you the first downs necessary to get that last touchdown pass, you're a genius. So <laughs> <laughs> we're not looking to score all the time, and we're not looking for perfect passes and perfect receptions. We're looking for individuals that want to find the perfecter. Yeah. The perfecter in your life, and that's Christ Jesus. And one of the yeah. great things that Jesus tells us at the end of the book of Matthew 18, verse 20, is he says he will be with you always, even to the end of time. One of the worst things that you can do is run out there and try to find that first uh, offensive line that's going to sustain you with a trustful relationship and you begin telling any and everybody any and everything. No, put your confidence first in God. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you to the people that will help you mature and commit yourself to the maturity process. You are not going to be first strength. You're not even going to be third strength. Heck, you might not even be able to drink the water. But the bottom line is that you're going to start somewhere. And starting somewhere is not a matter of time. And it's not a matter of place. It is not a matter of perfect circumstance, situation, or condition. It's a matter of Christ. Start with Christ, and he'll work you all the way through. You know, Jesus had something to say about football, too. He said, in this world, you're going to face blitzes. <laughs> don't panic i've overcome the blitz which he did he overcame the worst blitz ever on the cross in the grave and was resurrected the victory is guaranteed you don't have to be the best he was mm -hmm. but you do need to humble yourself to ask him for help and i would submit no dude who's messed up and is going to mess up again tomorrow is disqualified 
Amen. If you apologize, the forgiveness of Christ, and even the apology to your daughter or your son or to your wife will open the door for a better future. So don't let blitzes stop you. Okay. Don't let your, your past track record stop you from saying anything's possible with God today and tomorrow through humility, through teamwork, right? Mm-hmm. And through the wisdom that won't change God's word, how to be a dad, like the father of that prodigal son. Mm-hmm. Well, so let me hear from all three of you. What advice or what steps would you give to the men and the children out there? What advice would you give them to help turn the hearts of the father back to the children and the hearts of the children back to the father as the book of Malachi uh, verse four, six says, Bob, let's, let's hear from you first. Okay. You asked for a couple. I'll, I'll say two things that I think are really important for every dad. Uh, one, don't get caught in the quantity versus quality time trap because as a dad, what we often hear is, oh, you're pulled 16 ways to Sunday and you're so busy doing this, that, and the other, and this job is really demanding and you've got so many other things. Maybe you're doing multiple jobs, whatever. Uh, It's not the quantity that's important. It's the quality. And I've seen so many dads use that as an excuse for not intentionally really investing in their kids at any stage of their life. And I would just ask a simple question. If any of us go to a restaurant and order a steak, and when the waiter comes and delivers the steak, it's about an inch square and three inches thick. And we look at the waiter saying, wait a minute, where's my steak? He said, oh, listen, it's not the quantity that's important. It's the what? Quality. quality. Well, I'm going to have a real struggle with that waiter because I wanted and needed both quantity and quality every child. I don't care whether they're in preschool or school age or teenagers or adult need quality and quantity. And it's a constant thing that they need both. Now, sometimes, once in a while, there may be more quantity than there is quality. And other times there may be more quality than there is quantity. But don't get caught in that trap because society will tell you, that only quality is important. Every child will tell you both are critical. The second thing I'd say to every dad is be sure that every day you're telling your son or your daughter, whether they are young or whether they're adult, like the three of us have now as grown daughters and sons, I love you. I'm proud of you and proud to be your dad. And thirdly, work hard to be present and available at things that are important to them and not just comfortable or enjoyable for you. All through life, those were three things I had to learn the tough way because my dad wasn't present. And I so often wanted him there in special events, but that wasn't where he desired to be. And it was until I was in my late teens and early 20s that I ever heard my dad say, I love you. I'm telling you by experience, every child needs I love you. I'm proud of you and proud to be your dad and work hard at being there regardless of age when something's important to them. Mike, let me come out to Bob here uh, because I think men need to huddle up 
And I, I think Jeff will make a great closing here. But I will tell you the two things that you need most at this particular moment, if you are a newbie in Christ, if you've been there for 80 years and you open up the church in the morning, if you're one of those two guys, this is the two things you're going to need. Number one, you need to turn the voices off in your head. The voices of condemnation, the voices of inaccuracy, uh, inadequacy, mm -hmm. the voices of detriment uh, and destruction, the voices of disappointment the voices of I'll never get this right. You need to turn those voices off in your head. Voices of shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and quite frankly, as long as you listen to the voices in your head, keep you away from doing that which God has availed you, you're going to suffer. And so will the people around you. Here's the other thing that you need to focus on. It's not enough for you to sit in a pew two hours a week and say that you've been churched. You no longer need to be churched. You need to be Christ. And so being Christ means that I'm going to study his word and I'm going to begin committing myself to living out his word. Now, let me just tell you, I, I, I haven't seen anyone do it perfectly. I certainly haven't. But the better you become at something, the more you achieve. There's a gym coach that once told me, don't get it, don't practice enough to get it right. Practice enough so you'll never get it wrong again. Focus on practicing to the point where you'll never hear those voices in your head ever again. That's good. Well, my, I have three things and they basically are building off of what Ken and Bob said. Ken, Bob said that we got to get rid of those wrong voices and Bob was saying that you need to make sure your kids don't hear those wrong voices by telling them they're loved. I believe in you. You have what it takes. You're beautiful. Um, I'm committed to you. I'll never leave you. Okay. The sky's the limit with you because God made you and he loves you. But you can't do that very well. That's my point number two. Unless you figure out number one, which is you need to get your heart filled up. Right with the good, true message from God that'll chase away what Ken was saying is the false message from his enemy. And if you think of your heart, your soul as kind of a, a heart with four quadrants, um, here's a picture of a heart with four quadrants. Well, guess what you need in your heart? And you don't get this from your earthly dad perfectly. So you always need to get it from your, per your perfect father. You need to get your identity that you're a beloved son of a perfect father. He adopted you. You need to get the fact that you're loved, unconditionally loved. That's what Jesus heard in the river when God said, you're my son, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. You need to get approval, confidence, affirmation, like Bob was saying. And finally, you need a place in this world. That's where dads tell their daughters and sons, hey, I see that skill. I see that, that reconciling ability of yours. I see that uh, creativity. I see that perseverance. Um, the world's going to need you. Yeah. There's a place for you. you got a mission to serve God. So if you give those things to your kid, they're going to be different. But you can't do that well if you don't get those yourself. Okay? So I say run to the Heavenly Father. Ask him to refather you. And learn, who am I? His son. Am I loved? Totally. 
Does he smile on me and take pleasure in me? Yes, because Jesus forgave all your sin. And is he giving me a mission? Yeah, I'm an ambassador for Christ. I'm going to go represent him. I'm going to reconcile people back to God and horizontally. And I'm going to apologize for the junk I did in my family and start afresh. I'm going to reconcile. I'm an ambassador for reconciliation. That's out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where I get a lot of blueprints for manhood. Okay? So here's a practical. Go watch the movie, Show Me the Father, with your friend, your buddy, your son, your daughter, and learn who the Heavenly Father is and start receiving everything your heart needs. Number two, do the things Bob said. Affirm and bless your kid. Speak life and character and strength and confidence and identity into them and point them to the father that can give them 100% because you can't do it perfectly, okay? But hugs and kisses and unconditional affirmation and a vision for the future, that's what dads do. Give your kid that. Fill up their heart with these things, okay? Mm. Mm. And then the third one is don't worry about the past. Apologize for it. Go to your kids and say, what's holding me back from being the dad you need? Apologize for anything that they let you know or anything you know about. Ask for forgiveness. Forgive your dad for not doing a very good job. And don't stop being bitter at him because if, if you're not free from that, you're not going to do so well apologizing. Okay. And once you apologize to them, the sky is limp, the sky's the limit. You can start over. You can ask them, hey, how, how can we build a better relationship? What would you like to see me do more? What would you like to see me do less? Be coachable. Okay. That's humility, but it starts with an apology, just like our relationship with God starts with an apology. Hey, God, I've messed up. I can't do it. I need you. Here I come. Please forgive me. That's all it takes. Try the same with your kids. Valuable insight. What is a word that, of encouragement that each of you would leave for every man who's listening today? I would say it's not too late. You are not disqualified. No blitz has canceled your ability to be a dad and finish strong. You can use the negative, painful, bad things of your past to apologize, to turn around, to tell your story. And your kids don't want to repeat the bad stuff. So I would say it's never too late. Your kids need you. And if you humble yourself and ask for forgiveness, and start asking some other men for some coaching and even your kids for some input on what they need, what they want, the future is very bright. And the main thing about getting help is get it from Father God. Receive your fathering guidance from him. Ask him before you have a conversation with your grown son. Ask him before you talk to your daughter about the clothes she's wearing or how much time on Instagram she's spending, which is demolishing her self-esteem and confidence but don't just go in there and say instagram sucks it's bad for you you're not give me your phone i'm taking it away you think you're doing some great loving fatherly thing guess what she rebels against you and goes and runs uh, to some boyfriend and uh you need to ask god what do i do and how do i do it and when do i do it and can you give me the grace and the strength and the courage to do it then he gets the credit if it goes well. Thank you, Jeff. Ken, do you have an encouraging word to leave for the men listening today? Yeah, I want to point them to the Bible for a moment. Um, Isaiah 41, verse 10. 
And the reason why I want to point you here is that after many years of being away from Christ in my life uh, and divorcing and doing all of the meritorious things that are mentioned in Ephesians and Galatians, I came upon the heart understanding that I couldn't live life without Christ. I was wrong to leave him uh, and that I was afraid of what to do and how to do it and afraid that I would fail raising my daughter who I would gain custody of. So I turned to 4110 and it said, fear thou not for I am with thee. Be not afraid for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I think the rest of that says it. I'm gonna take care of what you need. Because God's a faithful father. Finish up, Ken. Where were you? I, 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 after reading that, I knew that God had my back. He had my six. He was going to take me through. And so if you're watching tonight or today or whenever you're watching this and you're admitting to yourself and to Christ that you haven't been the best of husband, you haven't been the best of father, you haven't been the best of grandfather, but I'm not going to stay there. I need you to lead me and guide me. Know that you can enter in without fear. And God will take you the rest of the way. Well said, Ken. Thank you. Bob, do you have an encouraging world you'd like to leave with the men? I think, I think they've said it beautifully. And uh, in fact, when you asked the question, I thought immediately in my mind, it's never too late. And Jeff nailed it. And then Ken saying that God will have everything we need and have our back. I would just say to the guy who's out there saying, but, because there's always that tendency to say, but yeah, but yeah, but I've messed this up. I did that wrong. It's too hard to change, et cetera. I would say, look, Anything we've talked about today isn't something that happens in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. It's something that happens with a beginning first step. So here's the bottom line. Real men are willing to take first steps in new directions, even if it's tough, if the outcome is going to be worth the effort. All three of us would say, trust us. The outcome is way beyond worth the effort. So wherever you are, wherever you think you're not, it's not too late. God's got your back. He'll provide what you need. So take the first step. You'll be thrilled you did. It's a great way to end this, Bob, with hope that the men out there, the fathers out there can take the necessary steps to have a relationship with their Heavenly Father, and work on building the relationships with their children. Jeff, would you please help us end with a prayer? God, every single guy is known by you. Hmm. And I pray that you would speak to him like an amazing, caring, tender, forgiving father, and that he would trust you enough and humble himself enough to take that step as Bob said, to surrender, to give you ownership, 
to say, God, prove yourself to me or help me fix this thing with my kids mm-hmm. or my wife or my whole life. Father, we can't do this on our own and you don't ask us to. You said I can do, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, but apart from him, we can do nothing. So right. help us connect to Jesus and change and take that step and turn our life over to you who said, as Ken pointed out in the scripture, that you have our back, you love us, we can depend on you, and you'll take care of everything when we surrender to you and let you own our life, our fathering, and everything. Bless these men. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here. Thank you to our audience for joining us. I'm your host, Michael Conant. We look forward to having you again with us next time on High Impact Dads. If you would like to know more about Bob's book, Ending the Cycle of Father Wounds, please visit Bob's website at bobrecord.com. Record is spelled with two C's, R-E-C-C-O-R-D. Bob also has a study guide with embedded videos available as a companion to the book. You can find these and all of Bob's books at bobrecord.com and dpztechnology.com under the Total Life Impact Bookstore. Ken McClinton is the founder, chairman, and president of the Exceptional Conservative Network, the best in urban conservative news, talk, and movies, and the Exceptional Conservative Show. You can watch his show live at TECNTV.com. If you would like to know more about Jeff Kemp's ministries and book, Facing the Blitz, visit JeffKempTeam.com. Our host, Michael Conant's book, A Work in Progress, can also be found at dpztechnology.com. You could be a part of this mission to spread this word to others. If you haven't already done so, please take a moment to subscribe to High Impact Dads on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. When you do, leave a five-star rating and write a nice review. Every five-star rating, review, and every new subscription truly does make it easier for those who need this information the most to find it. Please pass this on to anyone you may know struggling with father wounds.